I found a prayer this morning. I've just been kind of finding prayers that kind of correspond to what uh, the theme is for the Sunday, what I'm preaching on. And I find that people around the world write some really beautiful prayers. This is a prayer that's written by uh, Reverend Fiona Reynolds at the Monofith Parish Church in Scotland. So this is a Scottish prayer. Uh, Fits perfect with what we're talking about today. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we open up this worship service today. Mysterious God, power behind all that we see, grace beyond all that we know, love before all that we meet. We cannot comprehend your majesty. We only know your presence in our lives. You who knew us before we were born. You who will cradle us after our last breath. We cannot encompass your glory. Instead, we marvel at all the works your hand has made, and we worship and adore you. It seems too good to be true that you would care for mere mortals like us in our messy lives, often caught up in trivialities, that you would mold us in your own image, social creatures with a divine spark. So good we'd rather not believe, rather not see your image in those around us, crying out for love and companionship, rather not see your wisdom underpinning creation, groaning at our wanton waste and exploitation. God, above all, help us with our unbelief, our incredulity, our self-preserving acts, which isolate and harm. Pour mercy into our hearts and souls, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear your gift in every person, every place, every moment. For your greatness is seen in all the world. May our words and actions be our praise of you, reaching up and out into your kingdom, made real for us in the person of Jesus, who taught us so much, including how to pray Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, 
Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, who was here, show of hands, who was here at church last week? I'm not trying to, okay, good. Last week, I gave you all that were here a homework assignment. Do you remember the homework assignment? The homework assignment was to find 10 minutes a day in a quiet place where you would not be disturbed and to simply ask God the question, who am I? Who am I? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but did anybody get an answer to that question? Did anybody do the homework? Okay, a few people did. Did anybody get an answer? You can keep it private. You don't have to tell me what it is. I had a handful of people that said, um, I heard this, or uh, I didn't hear anything, or I forgot to do the homework. So, okay, good. So, so that, was, that was last week. This week, I want to explore the question, who is everyone else? And the answer to that question is directly linked to the first question. Okay? In fact, they are one and the same. And believe it or not, today's passage that I just read for you gives us a hint to the answer to both. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the Pharisees are up to their old tri tricks again. They've got Jesus kind of cornered. He's in Jerusalem. Of course, they want to entrap him, uh, and they, they want to get him to say something uh, that they can use against him. But it seems now they've, they have teamed up with the Herodians. Okay, so this is kind of interesting because the Pharisees believed through and through that, uh, that Israel must be kept clean, that Judaism as a religion, as a nation... If God's going to bless us, we have to do everything by the book. It all needs to be straight, okay? Uh, the Herodians on the other side of, of that, they believed that the only way to find true and lasting peace would be to work with Rome, okay? So Rome is, is occupying the land. They have come in. They have claimed the Holy Land for their own. Uh, they allow uh, Israel to continue their temple worship and their sacrifice, but it's all under the, the, the thumb of Rome the whole time. And so the Herodians said, our best bet is to cooperate with this, and that's how we're going to find lasting peace. And so we've got these two groups, one that says the land must be cleansed and be kept pure, and then the other one that says, no, we've got we to gotta work with the other side. We've got to work with the devil himself to, if we want peace. And these two groups then come to Jesus and they have a question for him that they believe is going to force him to pick a side. And the question is, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Simple question. Now, those two groups would answer that question very differently, but they both come together. Jesus, what do you say? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if Jesus says yes, then you can imagine what would happen. 
all of the, the poor, oppressed people that live under the thumb and the shadow of Rome, well, Jesus is going to lose them, lose favor with them, because they believe that God's going to deliver them from the Romans. And so if you say, yes, we should pay taxes to Rome, well, you just, you just lost me as a disciple. I was following you. I had hopes that you were going to free us from this, and, and now I think you're just working for the other side. But if he says no, well, now he's advocating for breaking the law because the law says that every good Jew, not every good Jew, every Jew must pay a yearly tax, one denarius, which is a day's wage. It's one day's worth of pay, and every year, every Jew must pay a denarius. So if you say, no, we shouldn't pay that, now you're breaking the law, and we can punish you. So we've got Jesus cornered here. We're either going to take away all of his power with the people, or we're going to get him thrown into jail, or worse. They didn't know Jesus was a lot smarter than that. Jesus is pretty darn smart. And so he says, hand me a coin. Hand me a coin, y'all, and tell me whose image is on this coin. Now, this is just a side note. I read this in a commentary, and I thought, man, never thought about that. Jews were not to have any graven image created or held onto. And Jesus says, hand me a coin. And somebody in that group, all of them Jews, has a denarius in their pocket, and they pull it out. They're holding a graven image because Caesar is on the image of this coin. I should have found an image uh, so you guys could see this. And in Latin, it said, Caesar, son of God, on it, right? So this is a, like a blasphemous coin for any Jew to have. But they've got it right in their pocket, and they pull it out, and they hand it to Jesus. And he says, so, so whose picture is on this? Whose image is stamped on this coin? They say, well, Caesar, of course. And so Jesus says, great. Anything that's stamped with the image of Caesar, give it to him. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Now, what kind of answer is that? That's not really an answer, is it? Instead, Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. Because the next question that we should ask is, so what belongs to God? Right? You identified what belongs to Caesar, what belongs to God? Now, if we follow his line of reasoning, which I think he wants us to do, the coin belongs to Caesar because Caesar's image is stamped upon it, which means the things that belong to God have the image of God stamped upon them, right? Does that seem fair, that that's what he's trying to say? Okay, I think so too. I'm glad you agree with me. So what then is stamped with the image of God? Well, for that, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 27. I think we have a slide. Just so we can know, it really is in the Bible. God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Right? Now these, these good Jewish folks that are trying to test Jesus, they know this. They know this. This is why this answer is so profound. They don't even know what to say about it. Because what Jesus is reminding them is that every man, every woman, every child is stamped with the image of God according to Genesis 1, 27. 
which coincidentally is why God forbids anyone from making an image to represent Him. Why? Because if you want to know what good God looks like, just look at your neighbor. I made every human in my image. You don't need to make a golden calf or, or whatever it is you think you need to make. I have stamped my image on every human on the planet. There you go. So give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to God, including Caesar. <gasps> including Caesar. Give Caesar to God. Don't worry about that rascal. Just give him to God. He's already stamped. It's really interesting because in their setup to this trick question, they actually say something that is true of Jesus. I don't know if you caught it. They, they confess something that's very true. They say to him, you know, Jesus, we know that you don't show favoritism uh, because you don't regard people with partiality. It's really interesting because if you look at that word partiality uh, in the Greek, in the original Greek, it's literally uh, translated, you do not see the face of men. Now, that sounds weird in English, so they put, you don't, you don't show partiality. But what it literally says is, we know, Jesus, that you don't see the face of men. Meaning, I think, when Jesus looks out into the crowd, as, I'm, as I am doing right now, I'm looking at a crowd of people, Jesus does not see Jew or Gentile or Roman or man or woman or Caesar or Herodian or Pharisee or rich or poor or saint or sinner. He does not see the face of man. So then what the heck does he see when he looks out into a crowd? As he's sitting here debating Pharisees and Herodians, what does he see when he gazes into their face, when he looks at us, when he looks at me, what does Jesus see? You see, I wanted you to ask the question, who am I? Because the answer to that question is the same answer for who is everyone else? Perhaps a better way to find that answer is not to ask the question at all, but to look in the mirror. To simply look in the mirror. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says, All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I've, I've read this for years, and I, and I read it metaphorically, that, that uh, you know, Paul is saying uh, uh, we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which we would say that's true, that's good theology. But then I came across a quote from a 7th century priest. His name was Simeon, and this is how he, he preached a sermon on that, that passage. And this is how he interpreted it. Let's see what Simeon says. Simeon says, Inside the heart there is a spiritual mirror, glorious and ineffable. It was fashioned by the Creator of all natural beings out of the spiritual potential of all natural beings. Next slide. In creation, visible and spiritual, 
as a seat of honor for his image and as a Shekinah, Hebrew for presence, or dwelling place of his invisibleness. He made it the bond and link and perfection of all natural beings. It is what the fathers call the beauty of our true self. Do you understand what he's saying here? That God has placed within us a spiritual mirror. That when you enter into that deep prayer, into that quiet that we talked about, that ten minutes of quiet, when you search the inward parts, as the Bible tells us, God searches our inward most being. When we search that inward most being, Simeon says, the way that he translates Paul, you will find a mirror there. And when you gaze into that mirror, the image that you see reflected back at you in that mirror, it will shock you. It will flat out shock you. It will seem a little blasphemous, to be honest. It will seem impossible. That can't be true. The image that I see reflected back when I search my inwardmost parts cannot be true. And yet the Father said, it is your true self. This is how the church, at least up until 600, this is how they interpreted this. This is your true self that you are encountering. The image that will be reflected back at you in that mirror is none other than God. God. In whose image you were made, the one whose image you bear, according to Genesis 1.27. There was a saint... She's saint now, St. Catherine of Genoa. She attended a, a church service on March 22, 1473. And during that service, particularly during communion, she had some kind of mirror experience. Because as the service was, was going and as she received communion, it dawned on her. She saw that reflection in the mirror. And she ran out of the church and down the street, screaming from the top of her lungs, My deepest me is God. My deepest me is God. You see, when that happens, like it happened with Catherine, like it happened with St. Paul, who we thought we were before we looked in that mirror, is shattered. It, it dissolves. And the truth becomes clear that God is at the very center of us. This is what Paul means when he says in Galatians, it is I that no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. He's not speaking metaphorically. He encountered the living Christ on the road to Damascus, and it shattered his image of who he thought he was. He thought he was a Pharisee. He thought that he was a one who was called to round up all these Christians and bring them to trial or kill them. He thought that he was a scholar. He thought that he was this and that. He said, that's all rubbish now. It's all rubbish because I've looked in the mirror. I know who is at the center of me. 
I know whose image I am made in. It seems impossible, but it's true. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And once you have seen your God self, I don't even know what to call it, your true self, your God self, when you gaze that God self in that mirror and the truth becomes clear, then when you lift your eyes and you look out into the world, guess what you're seeing? You see the face of God in every face that you meet, even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know it, you know it because you've gazed into that holy mirror. Folks, this is what Jesus sees. This is what Jesus sees when he encounters a crowd, even when he is cornered by hostile people, Pharisees and Herodians on either side of him. Yes, they are testing him, but he sees the image of God reflected in each face, and he knows who they are, and he knows who we are, beloved, holy glorious bearers of God, we just don't know it. We just don't know it. And I think maybe this is the, the, the core sin that happens in the garden. Adam and Eve think that they are somebody separate from God, somehow apart from God, able to do whatever they like. And in the, the, the lie of that, they reach out and take the fruit. And their first thought is, we've got to hide from God. How can you hide from one in whose image you are made? You can't get away from that. I don't care if you go hide in the bushes. I don't care where you go. God comes strolling along in the cool of the day. Where are you folks? Why are you hiding from me? Well, we made a mistake. Folks, this is my deepest prayer for you. That somehow, someway, if you have not already glimpsed your reflection in this mirror, that you encounter it and that you take a good, hard look. And you begin to see yourself as Jesus sees you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. That God loves you. That God looks upon you as his own, as his image bearer. My prayer is that you gain new eyes with which to see the world, that you begin to realize your loved ones carry God at the center of them. That, that's, I can accept that because I love my kids a lot. It's hard to accept for myself, but I can, I can look at my grandson and go, well, of course, of course God's in this sweet one, Right? but God is also at the center of your enemies. The folks that you dislike the most, God is at the center of them. They too are made in the image of God. They are stamped with the image of God, whether they know it or not. Now, I, I want you to think about this in light of world events. This is going to be hard to swallow, but Hamas, Hezbollah, Netanyahu, Putin, God is at the center of them. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. Think about the politician that you least like right now. God is at the center of that politician. They just don't know it. 
but Jesus knows it. Jesus wants us to know it. That's part of our calling as the church to realize who we are so that then we can go out into the mission field and know who they are and love them as such. Folks, we are called to give to God all that belongs to God, which is everyone. We don't have to get tied up and bogged down in, oh, this person just drives me crazy, or if this person's policies were different, things would be different. And Jesus says, give it to God. That one belongs to God. You see, this then frees us up to love our neighbor as Jesus has commanded us to do. This ain't fake good feelings just kind of conjured up because you had a good breakfast. Like this is being able to look at the face of your neighbor and know who they are at the center of themselves. And it also allows you to love yourself. Too many of us think, oh, I don't even want to know what God thinks of me. (laughs) If you only knew what God thinks of you. You would never worry about anything ever again. So this is my prayer for you. Let's pray. God, I I picked this song this morning to open up. Cleanse me, save me, which I believe now means the cleansing of a distorted view of who we are a distorted view of who everyone else is. Because if that view is distorted, if we somehow think that we exist apart from your image that is stamped on our very souls, then we begin to act in ways that are contrary to to what you called us to. That this is the one thing we have to get right if we're going to be faithful. We have to know who we are. We have to know who each other is. And so, yes, we ask you to cleanse us, save us, cleanse Hamas, cleanse Hezbollah. I wish everybody would wake up tomorrow morning having looked in the mirror and and war is over and famine is over and suffering, all these things caused because we, we believe that somehow we are independent from you. But we know that's not the case. Give us eyes to see, hearts to love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's form a big chain throughout this room. Um, don't forget, in our breezeway, we have uh, produce that needs to go to somebody's home, or it's going to go in the trash. So we have onions, we have potatoes. What else do we have back there, Dewey? That's about it. But a lot of onions and a lot of potatoes. So please take them. Please take them. You can have onions and potatoes. Okay. Uh, okay. Hopefully now. My blessing from Proverbs 18.24 is making more sense. I hope so. So in light of what you heard today, receive this blessing. 
There is one who sticks closer than sister or brother, one who is closer than father or mother, one who is closer than spouse or lover, one who is closer than your very self and yet is none other. May you find this one whose presence melts all fears and loneliness and suffering and pain. May you find this one who refuses to dish out condemnation and revenge and judgment and shame. May you find this one who even now beckons you to give up your life so that you might find it again. As the dawn of eternity reveals that you and the one have become one and the same. In the name of this one who promises, promises that those who seek shall find Go forth with this blessing until we are gathered here together once again. Amen.